0: Hi there. Today, you will listen to the first ever interview on the Apparel Entrepreneurship Podcast, and it's a very special one. We have received a lot of questions about manufacturing and how to best work with a manufacturer, and in this episode, we talk to Kevin Van Lanker, the founder and managing director at Sportswear of Tomorrow, the most technologically advanced private label sports and swimmer manufacturing plant in Europe. We really enjoyed interviewing Kevin because he's so honest and real he really tells it as it is and he also gives very tangible tips and actions hope you enjoy it as much as we did without further ado here is our interview with kevin welcome to the apparel entrepreneurship podcast we are your host anna and claus christensen founders of apparel entrepreneurship your go-to source for running and growing a successful meaningful apparel brand Each episode will give you hands-on tactics and practical strategies about everything apparel entrepreneurship. You'll also hear inspiring conversation with apparel industry experts and entrepreneurs about their tips and journeys in this fast-paced industry. Hi Kevin, Van Lanker, welcome to the Apparel Entrepreneurship Podcast. We're extremely excited to have you on because you're the first interviewer and now we're going to talk about something really important and that's manufacturing. So please introduce yourself and let us in on your background a little bit so the listeners can understand what you do and where you come from.
1: Hello Anna. good morning. Uh, Thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. It's really a pleasure. Uh, I will tell you a little bit about myself. So, um, originally I'm Belgian, and Belgian, sorry. And today I'm the CEO of Portrait of Tomorrow. We are a manufacturer of uh, mainly sports apparel with factories in Latvia, and as of 2020, we'll have a plant in Romania as well. Um, I moved to Latvia 10 years ago, uh, in fact I've developed in Belgium already for 14 years, and I'm in the industry for 17 years, But over the last 10 years I'm on the manufacturing side, where before that I would be on the client side with my own scaling apparel brand. But uh, it's apparently not that easy to find a reliable manufacturer for any portrait brands, especially if you're a startup and you need some very low minimum order quantities, et cetera. So after trying to work with subcontractors in Colombia, in Lithuania, in Belgium, I just experienced it like, like many of uh, your clients do and, and lots of my clients as well that it's really hard to find a person with who, or who would understand your business needs and with, who would work together with you. To make your brand a success,
0: that's completely true. We hear this constantly, and uh, so you started your own brand. Tell us a little bit about that,
1: right? Yeah, actually, um, to go back in time, <laughs> when I was three years old, I started roller skating after school when my parents couldn't take me from school, and eventually, about sixteen years later, so I made it to the Belgian national team in skating, and. Um, that was my first start in, in the sports world. So I'm still in the sports world now uh, when I'm 27. Still so, skating? Um, <laughs> not skating anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I have really no time anymore. But um, yeah, at some point you have to choose. Either you continue um, to be a professional athlete and then maybe you shift to ice skating because World of Speed skating is not an Olympic sport. Yeah. So, um, yeah, everybody was telling me, like, Kevin, get a job, you know, with skating there is no money and ice skating, I really just didn't like it that much. First, I first started an online shop giving uh, in roller skates. And after the demand was growing for uh, sportswear, I started to, look, um, to source clothing from a Colombian manufacturer because Colombia is the number one skating uh, skating country in the world. So um, I tried to deal with different manufacturers in Colombia, but then there was a time difference and they would tell me that my shipment would be on the way, but it wasn't true. And at some point I was really supplying all the national teams in skating. Oh, wow. And um, I was getting a bad name uh, between my skating colleagues because they said, like, hey, Kevin, you're really letting us down here. You know, like, we need to close for the European Championships next week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then um, eventually I found a Belgian manufacturer that helped me to uh, supply the team quickly. So I had a good feeling about that Belgian manufacturer, but at some point also there it went wrong with delivery times and uh, prints, which weren't, weren't exactly like we asked them to do it. So, again, my reputation was on the line, and uh, unfortunately, I had to close down my company and my brand. And um, I moved to IBM mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I studied uh, IT uh-huh. uh, at secondary school, and I always had a natural interest in uh, all of tech. So, um, yeah, I went to work at IBM for three years. I was really, really bored, even though <laughs> IBM. I was...
2: recognize that. <laughs> I really. Yeah, you know, I'm an IT engineer myself, and I've been okay. in a corporate game. So, I hear what you're saying. <laughs>
1: these companies they work yeah like they do lots of turnover and it's really a good environment for people who are made for that kind of job but absolutely not for me so at some point I really had a almost depression I was sitting there and thinking what am I doing with my life so I really wanted to get my uh, apparel brand back on track so again I started to look uh, for Lithuanian uh, or Latvian subcontractors and in the end I just understood like there is no chance I have to go there, live there by myself to be able to go and visit the factory on a day-to-day basis to make sure I can get, go back on track. And even that didn't work, so because as a small brand you come to a factory, they have their ongoing um, orders, usually big bulk orders, and you would come there with your small request of 20 t-shirts or 70 leggings, and they would look at you like, okay, not today, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. uh, come back here uh, maybe in, uh, in a month or so. But I couldn't explain that to my client know so at sure, some yeah. point I had the feeling that I have to really start all by myself and honestly speaking I hadn't that much money so we had to really start with one graphic designer then one sewing lady and really to grow it uh, step by step and I'm very lucky that um, yeah I was at the right time at the right pace I would say because many brands um, were manufacturing in Asia also and they were uh, looking to come back to Europe But they wouldn't just start to work in Eastern Europe without any trust person, because there is still this this distrust a bit between um, Western Europe and Eastern Europe. So um, it it definitely helped the brand that I was Belgian and I was going to live in Latvia, and I was going to to control their manufacturing. Like if it went wrong, then they would still know (laughs) how to find me basically and say like, hey Kevin, uh, we need to talk. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really start from scratch, and I think today we are very lucky that uh, we've reached what we've reached, and um, yeah, we still continue to grow. It's really exciting to be uh, to be in this industry rather than IBM or something. So
2: uh, I'm just uh, first of all, it's, I think it's fantastic to hear how you felt that IT was not your passion, and you just decided that you actually going to do something about it and uh, start your factory. And, and went in a direction that just felt better. That's, I think a lot of our community can resonate with that, and I can resonate with that, and I guess Anna can resonate with that as, as well. And so that's fantastic. But I'm interested, when you just started out, did you start with small brands, or how did you attract your first uh, customers to your uh, factory?
1: Uh, yeah, well, so I was still in this uh, scaling world, and I knew that uh, people needed skating clothes because uh, also in there, there aren't that many specialist suppliers because it's such a small sport, basically. So I started uh, supplying skating uh, apparel to to teams. But then um, one brand, they were active in cycling and uh, skating, and so we slowly started to make uh, some uh, cycling clothing. And then that little brand we worked for in Netherlands, they were acquired by a very big brand. Unfortunately, I can't mention any brand names, but uh, so it's a big group. That uh, took over that small brand and suddenly we had like a lion uh, on board as a client who could re- really fill all our factory immediately with, with lots of orders on daily basis and that really helped us to grow and after that base was there we could take even more customers because we expanded our production line with many more machines many more graphic designers so just to handle that one customer, but they wouldn't have every day that many orders, so we could still take another client on board and another client on board, and like that, we grew uh, to where we are today.
0: That's fantastic. Are they still your clients to this day?
1: (laughs) Yes, of course. Fantastic. (laughs) I think uh, uh, think, uh, there is really a strong drive from the management there uh, to grow that particular brand to to global expansion. So um, yeah, I think we were really at the right time, at the right place, and um, it also helps because they have a development team as well, so they talk with my graphic designers and product designers, so our people learn from them, their people learn from us, and so it's really a strong partnership, and I think that's also a great base for any brand to really communicate openly with your factory, like, uh, okay. Uh, This is what I want. How can you help me? And if I'm struggling at the factory, like, for example, I wouldn't have enough capacity. I just would tell it to the customer. They would look elsewhere maybe to fill that gap or maybe postpone that project a bit. But communication for us, what I've learned, is just key. Mm. Like if you don't talk, you're going to fail. So
0: this is what we're preaching every single day because communication is key and things do happen. I mean, things happen all the time. And product development and design, there are so many moving parts and there are so many, so many people and Customers. I mean, you have your customers, your suppliers you're working with. There's so many, many moving parts involved. And of course, things happen. But it's, it's normal. But if you do not communicate, if you, you do not o- honestly and openly talk about it, you can never move forward.
2: I don't know how many times we heard this. They're maybe disappointed, disappointed with the delivery. And we asked them, OK, so did you tell them about that? No, I sent them an email. Okay, and after that email, did you do anything else? Did you go visit them? No. So people just underestimate the value of communication. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. Unfortunately, yeah, I think we could uh, avoid so much trouble. Um, but just if we understand our clients and, and when they want to be where, like uh, if we can make a timeline together, I mean, we could all save so much time and energy. Yeah.
2: Uh, I have one more question here about your, when you started out. Since you came from the background of having your own apparel brand, and you mm. also had some own bad experience with suppliers, did you bring some, I mean, you, now you mentioned communication, did you bring some other non-negotiables that you thought, okay, when I'm running uh, manufacturing uh, business, these things are really non-negotiable, this is how I'm going to run the, the manufacturing?
1: Oh, it's a good question. I think that um, we we invite brands to come over and have a decent chat with us, like uh, on, on what they want to achieve, and uh, like along the way, we show them what tools we work with, like uh, how they can follow their orders online, um, how to place an order, and so on. Like for me, it's important that just not an email with a lot of text, mm-hmm. and that uh, which can be overlooked easily by any of the employees or even by by the customer when we send them a request, and then it gets lost. Uh, along the way, so we would like that uh, a customer prepares a nice PDF Mm. with just a picture of the the garment they want, the colors in there, and not say afterwards like, hey, but uh, we told you that this color of thread should be there, uh, or that particular number of of color, Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh really, did you communicate that ever to us, and they're like, yeah, I sent an email at that day five months ago, you didn't notice it, and of course it doesn't work. I mean, all all. Uh, documentation should be really on point with all those little details clearly marked so everyone who gets uh, this document in their hands would know exactly how it needs to be done
2: totally yeah. uh,
0: let's now can you please tell us a little bit more about the actual services that you do because this is really interesting for for our listeners and it's important as well for mm-hmm. you to explain uh, it is sports where it is active where can you just tell us a little bit more about the services that you have, like what can you do with your factories and how can you support brands? And do you guys have pattern making or design services or like what, what can you, what's the, what's the package? If I were a brand and came to you, what what can I expect?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would like to say that uh, we offer an A to Z solution for brands looking for manufacturing supports around Europe. We offered a little bit extra layer of security, uh, which I like to say because I am Belgian, and it gives that extra safety for brands when they start to work in Eastern Europe. So coming back to the services, um, we can help with pattern making. That means like we will develop the base pattern, make a sample, uh, which we send to the customer so they can uh, check it if it's uh, fitting well, if maybe the colors need to be different and so on. And if it's okay, we move on to grading. If not, we make corrections and eventually make a second uh, sample. Then we could apply the artwork, um, but it's either applied by the customer or by us. So if they don't know what they want, we can definitely help them uh, Mm -hmm. to achieve that. Um, And if the clients even want to uh, add the sublimation print, because sometimes we also do just uh, cut and sew. Mm -hmm. So um, we would just uh, work with pre dyed fabrics. In fact, uh, the sublimation setup we have is unique in Europe in that, that it's very automated. So I actually studied idea, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. so I combined that background of automatization with what I learned in recent years in the textile industry. So, of course, I also rely on lots of partners that each has their own expertise, such as the sublimation printer manufacturing, uh, manufacturing company that would tell us, like, hey, Kevin, uh, we come out with this, will it be eventually interesting for you? And we try to all um, yeah, build it into our factory. Mm-hmm. The sublimation printing happens on the latest Mimaki printers. And once the fabric is printed, we then rely on a 3.2 meter wide calendar press so that we can print two rolls at once. So the output is really uh, large, mm-hmm. which gives the next headache because once you want to cut that and uh, bundle all these pieces, you can create a giant mess. So the cutting process we um, now set up for 2020 is steered by artificial intelligence. So it, we are the only factory in Europe that has this. So um, the scanner would read actually all the printed parts on the fabric and uh, with high pre- precision cutting would cut out just these parts and artificial intelligence would tell the employee where to uh, which piece to pick up and where to put it so that uh, all human errors can be avoided at any given time. So it's really the most advanced uh, sublimation factor in Europe for 2020.
2: That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. to hear about the artificial intelligence. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned that, can you mention again what the AI could do? It could decide?
1: Yeah, so for example, um, I don't know, we can create 3,700, I just name a number yeah. garments, which all individually printed. So um, mm-hmm. it, it could have a different name and number, or it could be completely a different design, but it would be a, like a giant print file. But um, as the software also um, Places every printable part in such a way so that you uh, use the fabric the most economical way. Mm-hmm. It could be that the sleeves would be mixed uh, completely on the other side of uh, of, of the fabric uh, roll. So um, as the cutted pieces are, are placed, oh no, not the cutted, the printed pieces are placed on the automatic cutting machine, and um, when they roll off, and the AI will show with cameras and show a number. So it's quite difficult to explain it over a podcast <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I, but I get the idea yeah. it's, uh, and, and I don't know how familiar your employees uh, sorry your clients are with, uh, with sublimation printing so maybe it's a little bit too tech but what we want to do is like to make all orders fully track and traceable so that's we've fantastic. implemented lots of technology so from the moment your client and that's not a brand that's your end client has designed something on your website so it doesn't it's not even visible for the end customer right is designing we would receive the order and fulfill an order in two to three working days and drop ship it to the customer no matter where he or she is in the world that's so fantastic it's, yeah it's next level actually it's sublimation really like and i don't think that there is anyone doing such a thing today
0: to be innovative and stay ahead is actually what, what is the most important because uh, quality and, again, this industry is moving so fast, and so staying ahead is is key. I was thinking about the, the brands that you can do this with. Let's say, can you do this for small brands with smaller minimum order quantities or do you only need to work with bigger bigger volumes?
1: Um, actually, our idea is that everyone tomorrow can start to a- Sport brand. So you would go on our platform, choose the styles you want to customize with your print and your logo, mm-hmm. put these garments in your Shopify or whatever store, and as soon as you receive an order, it comes automatically to us. We fulfill the order and dropship it to your customer. This can be small scale, like it could be just someone who is making, I don't know, one legging per day or three leggings a month. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's totally okay, but also huge brands um, that need club solutions so with club stores etc it's all built in in the solution so it's automates the whole thing so actually they can close full departments of people who just file orders Mm -hmm. Um, but the main goal is that we can fully customize uh, or offer fully customized clothing with no minimum order quantities in a lead time of just two to three working days Mm -hmm. so it's really a game changer i think
0: that's, uh, that's fantastic. And I was thinking just for the more st- startups type of brands, what would you coming from you? Uh, what do you, uh, what would you want designers to know before coming to you, before contacting you? Because of course, the bigger brands, they have a structure. They have the plan. They know exactly because they've done this. But smaller brands coming to you, what do you wish they, uh, they would prepare? What do they need to know before they, they contact you?
2: And also, in order to cut through the noise of people contacting you, for you to take them uh, seriously and continue discussion, what's your tips there?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we see that most of the clients know more or less what they want. However, many ask us for a catalog from which they could pick the product. But today, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we don't have any catalog. So as we made fully custom clothing, so any brand could come to us with a sketch and maybe a measurement chart and at least maybe some idea of print or color, a pantom code. Mm-hmm. come, come as prepared as you can be. And not just tell us like, okay, I want to start an active wear brand. Please help us out. Like that kind of emails we get quite often. And we think like, okay, do we even <laughs> need to respond to this? Because I like, you're not prepared. Like uh, just, do some homework. I mean, on Apparel Entrepreneurship, there is also lots of interesting podcasts you can listen to to have at least... uh, It's true. Even even I'm listening to them just like, and I think, (laughs) hell yeah, like, finally (laughs) someone is saying it, you know? Because uh, normally people just come to us like, okay, um, they just decided last night that... um, I want to quit my job, I want to start an apparel brand, and they just write to all the manufacturers probably that come up when they type uh, Google, um, when they type in Google sportswear manufacturing, uh-huh. hello, I want to start a sportswear brand, and now please do it for me, but that just doesn't work, you know, so I would like that people do a little bit more research, how does it work, what do manufacturers need, but I can tell it also, like, if you come already with a sketch and some explanation of what you're what you want to do and then we can have a, a decent call about it, Like uh, then I would be already happy. Mm. That's a good start, actually. Yes.
0: Definitely. And do you also help them out when it comes to the pricing, when it comes to the branding side? Maybe they have some ideas with, let's say, some have some basic ideas. Would you also go into kind of educating them, or are you more like, okay, you guys, you're, you're, where does your input start and stop?
1: Yeah, like I said, we uh, can offer A to set solution. so really I don't mind uh, that we have to educate people or at least tell them where they have to look for things, uh-huh. um, we, we know um, how to start brands from, from the very beginning basically with the pattern making and uh, with the sketch and the fabric uh, selection, mm-hmm. so we can tell them where to find fabric suppliers. Uh, that offer good fabrics for sublimation, of course, if you want to add sublimation. Mm -hmm. Um, That that is really our expertise. So in uh, pre-dyed fabrics, we're maybe not that strong. I mean, because we are really in this uh, printed business. So, yeah, yeah, anyone can uh, come to us. And I wouldn't necessarily say uh, to anyone like, oh, no, I cannot help you. Because I've been in their shoes. And I know it's difficult because Mm -hmm. you are entering a, a market that seems easy, but... Unfortunately, it's not that easy. So um, I wouldn't necessarily push away a small startup brand. I just need to see you're motivated and you're willing to learn and to work together with us. Not send us an email. We reply to you back because usually we're very fast in that. Mm -hmm. And then you disappear for three, four, five weeks because you still have your day job and then come back to me and say, "Hey, now I need it really quickly because I want to start (laughs) my brand next week." It it just yeah, it's frustrating. Sorry, like uh, so yeah, this I don't like.
0: Yes, we totally hear you. We know exactly what you mean. But do you have any deciding factors on when to onboard or uh, say good luck? We cannot take you on. Like, do you have a do you have a set of standards or, or is it more like hunches from you that okay, these guys, I know, I I feel that they're for real. I really want to help them out. What like what? How do you decide which to take on? Is it based on the brand? Their purpose, what they're trying to achieve, like what's what's your what's your okay or no not okay <laughs> based yeah. on?
1: As I said, um, it really is a combination of this communication style and and what do you deliver already, like uh, or what what do you bring with you when you come to visit us? Like if we see you like uh, just I don't know thinking it's, it's the brand is going to be ready tomorrow and uh, you will be the next Adidas, then I would be more likely to not uh, take on your project because I think like you don't understand that there is lots of work involved. And, you know, we charge for product development uh, like a fixed fee, mm-hmm. but sometimes it takes much more money. But uh, we wouldn't charge this money to you. But so we, we really need to be sure that you are going to go ahead with your project because we are ready to invest the time and the money that is necessary to bring your product on point. Mm-hmm. So you're ready for both manufacturing. And yeah. we would be happy to also execute it. But if you come unprepared and you think it's like, uh, yeah, whatever, then, then it's better we, we split uh, raise already from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Or if, also if we cannot match your price. Because we are a manufacturing plant in Latvia and Romania, which are both EU countries, salaries for sewing ladies have uh, raised dramatically over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so we cannot offer China prices that are offered over 10,000 pieces per style or something like that. So... You can also tell us target pricing mm-hmm. and we can give you an idea like, okay, that makes sense or it's absolutely way off. Like we will have a very open discussion with you or anyone willing to start a brand and um, yeah, what's the right price for a legging or for a printed cycling jersey or whatever. Like uh, we can have a really open communication about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was just thinking about one thing we mentioned, communication. We always recommend our community to go and visit the manufacturer. What would you say about that? Do they need to visit you during the product development?
1: You know, it makes things a lot easier when people can uh, visit us. But um, also today we have clients in uh, USA and um, Australia. Which doesn't make it always easy, but um, we can do Skype calls and, and, uh, and well, luckily we have this uh, DHL or FedEx services that can deliver us uh, samples and so on. But uh-huh. of course, for people to come and visit and see by who these clothes will be made, uh, get to, for us to get to know the, the client also, it would be perfect if we can just have a coffee and you can have a walk uh, or stroll through uh, the factory and see, okay, this is where it's going to be made. It's definitely mm-hmm. really a plus. Yes.
0: It's about relationships and this is again this we're saying this all the time because it's when you feel that you can trust someone and when you feel that there's an openness and honesty and again it's a win-win situation if they feel they can trust you and you feel you can trust them and you're in it for the long run that's when it's going to be a successful partnership and you know how the sewers are you know that they they look like they are well and that they're happy and you know what the facility looks like it all helps so we we totally we always recommend people to go to their factories
1: you're very welcome anyone is welcome to visit us
0: and so let's move forward a little bit let's look into the future a little bit into the industry future uh you mentioned that you have uh, a lot of advanced technology and machinery and so where do you think the industry is going and specifically the manufacturing business like what do you think the future now we're moving into 2020 soon where do you think it's going
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very happy to talk about this because I think uh, our company is really at the forefront. So anyone who's been following us the last couple of months, let's say I've been really advertising on LinkedIn that we're really really ready for full launch of the uh, -the state-of-the-art platform that's really a game changer in this industry. So uh, that's mainly actually because I was very lazy at, at school. I was a really lazy student. And it helped me a lot because when I saw that my graphic designer was copying and pasting artwork to grade it to a certain size, it really hurt my eyes. I was thinking like, can this not be done easier? Because that's that's typical for lazy people. They will always find a more efficient way of doing things. <laughs> so uh, it's really true. It, I mean, it helped me always in in everything I've done, like to always think like, okay, how can we do this better and faster? And all this IT background was always with me. Also, lots of my family is, is in IT, so we had uh, chats with them like, come on, can this not be done different? So uh, the platform that we are going to launch really um, allows for on-demand sportswear manufacturing. That means that like, not only print, it means that uh, your client sees a certain style and knows that he, for example, has maybe a little bit longer arms than uh, standards. He could extend the pattern, and we would receive the ready-to-cut pattern with two centimeter longer arms, or maybe longer legs on a cycling bib shirt, because there is like different taste of people. So. Th- The platform really allows for custom-made manufacturing Mm -hmm. that helps for startup brands who want to uh, reduce the risk of like, okay, I'm going to start my legging brand, but I'm not sure will it work. But it also helps big brands to just uh, launch new products faster Mm -hmm. without having to buy a large amount of stock and then uh, maybe sit on it for years because it doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. So in this case, our platform really um, allows uh, or is um, enabling everyone, no matter the size, to start adventuring in the sportswear industry.
2: Mm. Interesting. And another change we've seen, uh, or another focus we've seen in the last few years, that's around sustainability and circularity. And that's a big focus for a lot of brands that we see. So how have you seen the changes in this and have you made any changes to adapt to this larger demand in, uh, on sustainability?
1: Yeah, I think indeed it's a strong focus and it's also the, definitely, definitely the way to go. So uh, together with partners in technology, we have uh, built a state-of-the-art software that automatically brings all orders together. So no matter what it is, um, all orders are put in the system and then um, the software would automatically prepare the print files and cutting files so we could really optimize. Um, uh, optimally use uh, the fabric I don't know if that optimally is the English but anyway <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I mean the maximum use of the fabric in the, in the s- most smartest way so we reduce the waste a lot because the textile industry tends to be still one of the most uh, polluting industries so we do all efforts to um, reduce this amount but besides that we work with fabric suppliers that use the Econil, Econil yarn and Econil mm-hmm. is the brand of an mm-hmm. Italian company that focuses on uh, producing recycled fabric yarn so, and then our fabric suppliers would then make uh, different blends and so on with Alastan or so. So, that made that today we have a really wide right range of fabrics that are made of recycled fabrics. Mm-hmm. And I personally, uh, as the owner of the business, made a pledge that we should really limit the amounts of brands that are not willing to shift to um, recycled fabrics as of 2020. Okay. Because I think that there are plenty of uh, fabrics now available. For plenty of purposes, so if there is really not this will from a brand to shift, then I think they just don't fit in also our uh, philosophy of how a business should be run uh, in Europe in 2020 and going uh, forward.
0: Making a stand—that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Glad to hear that. Because we see huge uh, improvement in this as well for us more and more. And even existing brands, they're like, I have been focused on this. I've been so confused. It's been so much information. I don't know what to do. But now I do not have any choice. I need to do it. What do I do? So we're seeing a huge, huge improvement. uh, pressure for this from the brands themselves because they f- see the pressure from the customers, especially the younger generation, they uh, this is a must for them. That's really that. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I was thinking with your technology and with your you've got the pattern cutters, you've got all the sewers, are you also working with 3D programs that you can develop um, that you can work with your customers on the spot when they are there.
1: Um, Yes. No, I would say even more so. And the the platform we are about to launch uh, offers 3D design online. So Uh it means that you integrate in your website our platform. We can help you with it. Uh, It's really uh, a little bit too technical for uh, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't let you just do it. And so your customer would take a garment from your store click on it, it would load into our 3D environment, the customer can um, change the colors, uh, add a logo or add some text to the size and we would receive the ready to print file. So mm-hmm. all is already in a 3D environment. So um, yeah, I think 2D is already like behind us. So now it's all about 3D.
0: Yes. And it saves so much time. It saves so much money. And yes, definitely. Uh, And also we're seeing, again, we're getting lots of questions from designers and how to, how should we, we work with this outcome because it's, it's so much more efficient. It totally makes sense. Uh, do you also ever work with with collaborations? Collaborations are huge, and many people find the value of collaborations on, of course, leveraging each other's networks, like what we're doing now. We're working together. We're collaborating. Do you collaborate? Do you bring other brands on board to kind of be part of your, of your business? Or do you, because we know also brands work with brands, but do you also work as A manufacturer with brands and kind of collab uh, projects. Do you ever do that?
1: I think that is definitely the way uh, going forward, because um, before brands would also be involved in manufacturing and they wouldn't know what they are doing, Mm -hmm. so they would waste our time and they would lose their time, and I I always was thinking like, come on, a brand should be focusing on branding, like uh, make beautiful pictures, go out selling, do (laughs) your part, and leave the manufacturing to us. So as of 2020, we are indeed part of different brands already, um, in cycling and in soccer, so Mm -hmm. Um, We are really going that way where we just divide the business Mm 50-50. So the owner would just focus, and that's what he wanted originally. Mm -hmm. So he would just want to make some beautiful designs and go out selling, make beautiful Instagram posts and Facebook posts, (laughs) and leave all the uh, headache of manufacturing and sourcing fabrics, et cetera, to us. And that's perfect because we know how to do our job and we are really bad at Instagram and Facebook, etc. So yeah, I think it's a great uh, opportunity there for for everyone.
0: Of course, it can be a risk as well, but of course the opportunities are way, way bigger.
1: Tell me about those risks. Idea?
0: Do you do you contact brands as well, or are they, or is it only the other way around that brands come to you and per and uh, suggest collaborations? Like, do you f- find brands that you're like, oh, we so much want to work with these guys?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so I go to different fairs. I think like you, um, attending Ispo, Interbike, uh-huh. Eurobike, and uh, Performance Days. Yes. So. Um, but it would be I mean the most easy way for me is there to go to my existing client base and just go have a coffee again because we've been working for so long together uh-huh. but I see huge opportunity via Instagram and LinkedIn so people would tell me hey I see you're going to uh, Ispo could we have a coffee there and and that's how we meet the client for the first time but I to really suggest like okay look um, let's work together, come to Latvia, and uh, we'll show you around. And after, we can move uh, to the next step. And mm-hmm. usually, they are so excited about all they're going to do. They come over, and, I mean, Latvia is a beautiful place. Romania is a beautiful place. So, uh-huh. I mean, they are really like, okay, let's do it. And uh, my team is uh, has a lot of youngsters uh, on board in the design team and product design team. Uh-huh. So, they usually get along all really good. So, I think, yeah, there is really... Opportunities in Eastern Europe if you find the right manufacturing uh, partner. And I really need to emphasize on that because choosing your manufacturing partner can make or break your brand. So I've learned it the hard way and mm-hmm. so I would really tell all the brands to be super careful in choosing your manufacturing partner because you could do all the beautiful marketing and so on, but if your products are not great or if they are late uh, for launch, uh, there you go with all your invested money in marketing.
0: We are so totally with you on this point. Uh said. <laughs> <Make-drop>. <laughs> <Doom>. <laughs> no, yeah said. Make drop. Doom
1: I mean I, I've lost my whole business over it by choosing the wrong manufacturer just because I wanted to start quickly and make money and, and then I just learned it the hard way. And yeah now thinking back I just thought like Kevin what did you do? Like seriously. Like it, it was just wrong.
0: And this is what happened to us as well with Zenaya. I don't know if you know the story. We yes, learned Yeah. Yes. So it's uh, we feel you. I, You mentioned the, the workers and you mentioned you have uh, uh, a lot of young people. We never asked, how many people do you have in your team? How many okay. workers do you have? How many are you?
1: Uh, we ter- we are 30 people today, but we also don't want to grow uh, beyond that. Okay. So I, I as a 37-year-old guy, I never wanted a sewing factory. I made it out of necessity <laughs> uh, because we saw that there is such a strong need in Europe for a sewing factory. But there are also plenty of sewing factories that, on the, that are on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So um, I go out and meet those owners and just beg them to listen to me because I've seen previously factories in Lith- Latvia and Lithuania that uh, looked at me like, oh boy you know when I presented my business um, uh, Mm -hmm. business plan and said like look we are going to make teamware the minimum should be one piece Um, regular order is 12 pieces of this three of that five of that and they looked at me like oh Kevin please like maybe find another factory and now these factories are out of business Mm -hmm. but in teamware we are ready to pay a little bit more maybe because we we were need this flexibility, so we understand it costs a little bit more, mm-hmm. so by uh, having a good communication with the owner and say, okay, look, we're not going to ask for the minimum price, we are happy to pay more, uh, a, a plus for this service, but at least you can stay in business and keep keep those workers on board, we try to work with different subcontractors, and that's really uh, paying off today.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And yeah, now we're talking a lot about Europe and you're based in Europe and we Mm -hmm. are based in Europe, but we know also many of our listeners, they are based somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So what does, and we also know that a lot of brands, they used to move away from production in Europe and went to Asia, but we also Mm -hmm. see now that many are moving back. So what does the manufacturing scene look like now in Europe? Could you just talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, personally, I never liked uh, working with Asia. I don't wanna uh, uh, say something bad, but it's just like it was a hassle for me always. Like there is the import uh, uh, taxes, uh, then you have to deal with customs, and you don't you need this code of the product. And oh my god, like uh, then there was Chinese holiday, there was the language barrier, the time difference, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, when I met Asian suppliers at ISPO, they would come to my uh, booth and say, like, hey, uh, maybe we're, we can collaborate. And they showed me a cycling jersey, which we also produce, and they are Um, offering me a price that's maybe the same so then I'm just uh, looking at them like why do you offer such a high price and they just tell me well we are not really specialized in uh, flexible manufacturing we are good at bulk production but that's not where my uh, business is in Mm -hmm. so I just told them like there is no sense for me to work with Asia uh, if I can make it in Europe at maybe the same or a little bit more expensive but without the hassle of time differences, import duties and so on so I think in all of Eastern Europe, the prices for manufacturing are very reasonable, especially for startups that haven't uh, built production needs. Mm. So definitely you should uh, be using them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And of course, it's not just that, but it's that when you're in Europe and it's easier to go to the place, it's easier. Maybe the, as you mentioned earlier, the communication is easier. And it's if the product is the same, the price is the same, it's the... It, just the facility it easier to, to collaborate and to discuss and to go to to the manufacturer.
1: Uh, well, all uh, all the fabrics, the, the majority of the fabrics come from European suppliers, you know, so they would be then shipped to Asia. It just also doesn't contribute to our whole idea of uh, our carbon footprint, which we want to minimize. So uh, we want to be as close as possible to our customers and to our suppliers to keep all that as efficient as possible
0: Based on this comment, do you uh, mainly work with European suppliers then?
1: Uh, yes. Of course,
0: it, of, of course, it depends on the on the request that you get from your customers. But mainly, do you mostly suggest European suppliers?
1: Uh, we have only European suppliers, ah. <laughs> and that, and that's really a. a a really thought choice like we really wanted to think like okay how we can we keep our risk our footprint all as minimum mm. or as small as possible so um in italy in spain in poland you have really great suppliers of fabrics so why to make it complicated? Of course, we have very large brands that are uh, asking us to buy a whole container of fabric from Asia, mm-hmm. but I would rather leave it up to them. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we, we don't want to deal with all this hassle of mm-hmm. customs. It just delays our core business, which is manufacturing. So we will be starting dealing with the uh, logistics and mm-hmm. customs while it just takes time and it doesn't bring us anything.
0: Okay, That's true. And especially now when the industry is moving so fast and many brands who use uh, or um, launch personalized products. They have drops every week, like they're showing and introducing products faster and faster and not doing the normal two season thing. Of course, it makes more sense. It's so much faster and so much more efficient if you have everything in one place instead of ship stuff from across the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. So yeah, we talked a bit about the future here. So what is it about this industry that makes you want to invest you know, all your time in this and working with the manufacturing facilities? Uh, what do you love about being in this industry?
1: Yeah, before, as I said, I worked in IBM it was really like a bureaucratic place. And um, I'm not saying it's not working, but it's just not for me. Like now I can meet my customer who is wearing uh, some shorts and flip-flops in summer and just come <laughs> over. But it doesn't make the meeting less serious. Like uh, he, he knows his target, like, uh, which is like launching a new collection, for example, in the next eight months or six months. Mm-hmm. And he would have a, a really uh, great communication with me and set out uh, the timeline. While in IBM, we would have meetings for me, uh, we made meetings which could be an email, like we say. So we just sat there and I thought like, could they not just send an email about this and just wasting my time. So the sports industry is much more dynamic.
2: Mm-hmm. And on top of
1: that, as I said earlier, As I come out of the sports background, like, I still get to work with lots of my friends from skating. Uh So, who now made it as a product manager in maybe a big sports group in France or Switzerland. Uh And so, it's really pleasant for me to work with my friends, which I've been known, like, now for the last 20 years. So, I I really, uh, I'm lucky.
0: You are, and it's still, I mean, that's why I worked in the industry for 16 years as well, it's a bit more relaxed and it's a bit, people are not so, how should I say it, it's more easygoing and mm-hmm. it's like you can have a beer, you can talk and all of a sudden you're off, you're going skiing and you're meeting and so it's, yeah, uh, totally on you, uh, to- totally with you on that point. Now, we're going to wrap up this interview. It's been fantastic till now. Uh, So just as a wrap-up question, what's next for you? What are you excited about for 2020?
1: Yeah, I think as I uh, mentioned throughout the interview, I think the the platform we are going to launch is really a game changer in this industry. We really recommend brands to reach out uh, to us to learn more how it could uh, completely change their business actually um, and save lots of money bring out products faster mm-hmm. customized clothing uh, with the minimum order quantity just one with very low um uh, sorry with very short lead times so I think that uh, there is plenty of opportunities in Eastern Europe like I also said don't mm-hmm. look too far don't uh, you, you're not, as long as you don't have the book don't look at Asia or Pakistan or India you can find all you need in Europe um, yeah I think just reach out and have a great communication with us so we know exactly what where you want to stand in the next 12 months.
0: That's fantastic. You're in Romania right now, and are you gonna? So, so you're gonna jump backwards and forwards. You're gonna go to Romania, then go to Latvia. How? Where are you gonna be situated? What's where's home for you now?
1: Yeah, I think that um, people in Eastern Europe tend to have this feeling that there need to be some kind of control. So. for now, I stay in Romania and uh-huh. set up the full production plan, but as the holiday season is coming up, I think to fly back home uh-huh. to meet my parents, which I haven't seen for half a year, and I think they'll be extremely happy. But <laughs> yes. after that, I think I'll come back to Romania because, as I said, okay. we are uh, working already for the last 10 years in Latvia, so the uh-huh. team knows my values and I understand theirs, and they, I can let them work alone, but uh, in Romania, it needs a little bit more control at this uh-huh. time.
0: Good to hear that. Well. Thank you so much, Kevin. You've given us a lot of tips and listeners, a lot of good information. I'm sure there's so many people that are going to have tons of takeaways. And tell us a little bit where people can find and connect with you and get in touch. Of course, we're going to link to the to all the info in the show notes. But yeah, if people want to do potential partnerships, where can they find you?
1: Well, I think we have built a great website. Uh, It's Mm sportswearoftomorrow.com and I think you can already get a selection of products uh, on there uh, where you can see how it looks. You can download the design template and the fabric composition we suggest for that particular garment but take into account that every of those products can be customized. We put some uh, pictures and uh, videos on our Instagram and Facebook page which are both sportswear of tomorrow. So, um, yeah, follow us, uh, see what we do and uh, get some ideas how our how our company can really help your brand to grow uh, to very high heights uh, as of 2020.
0: Perfect, and I'm so looking forward to, I'm sure I'll bump into you probably at ISPO or at another fair in the very near future. It would be great. That's when we're gonna have our coffee, right?
1: Yes, yeah, super, those will chats. Yes, super, it would be my pleasure. Yeah,
2: so thank you so much for taking your time talking to us today.
0: Thank Thank you you so much. much. Happy holidays, Kevin. Take care. Bye. Bye -bye. Ciao.
2: Apparel entrepreneurship is such a valuable asset to any clothing brand. Anne and Klaus both have a wealth of experience from setting up their own brands, which means that their advice based on these experiences is realistic and actionable. The membership program provides useful resources to help brands learn about the elements required for running a clothing line, and the tools and templates offered here are extremely valuable as they are hard to find elsewhere. Charlie Pollard, United States.
0: What apparel entrepreneurship has created with a membership is long overdue in this industry. The experience and the content you create out of it is a very high value, not only for new startups, but also for existing brands to better understand the full picture. It provides a nice guidance and source of help for those who do not have the relevant network yet to get proper information from. Simone Meyer, Germany. Do you work really hard on your apparel brand? You listen to all the fashion experts and do all the tricks and strategies, but are just not seeing the results that you want. Or are you lost as where to start? Does it seem overwhelming with a lot to learn and are you yearning for a community of people who understand your vision of running an apparel brand? Hi. I'm Anna, and if you answered yes to any of those questions, I want you to seriously consider the Apparel Entrepreneurship Membership Program. You will be joining the hundreds of entrepreneurs who have discovered their unique brand niche and have clarity and a plan to succeed with their brand. This is an experience and an opportunity for you to really take your brand to the next level, to implement our unique six-step success path that will result in purposeful designs, orders, sales, exposure, and most importantly, profitability. Let us change your life, or at least let us change your apparel brand for the better. Go to apparelentrepreneurship.com join to join the membership program now. We look forward to seeing you on the inside apparelentrepreneurship.com slash join.